Good morning again. Welcome, welcome to Living Hope Church. I am Pastor Tim. Awesome to be with you guys. It's a joy. It is a joy. Pray that you've been welcomed and encouraged this morning and the Lord is already at work in your heart speaking to you. We're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 11 this morning as we continue in our series calling us to draw near to the throne of grace. We heard last week in chapter 10 that call not to shrink back but to draw near, to hold firm. You remember the end of chapter 10 verse 39 closed with this verse. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen? May we not be a people that shrink back, but be a people that have faith, that preserve their souls. You say, well, wait a minute, what is faith? And I say, I'm really glad you asked, because that's what the author of Hebrews is going to spend the next 40 verses of of chapter 11 explaining and unpacking, showing us what it means to have faith in the promise. What does it mean to be a person of faith? Let's just look real quickly at the first two verses where the Word of God defines and, and sets the stage for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. What, what is faith? Well, in the Greek, the, the noun form of the verb, the verb to trust or to believe, the noun form of that is what we translate as faith. So, so faith is, is the 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 object, the, the, the position of trust and belief. And we see here that faith is a certain belief, right? It's a, it's a firm trust. Faith is the confidence, the assurance that we have what we hope for. It's a confidence and an assurance that we have what we hope for. See, biblical faith is not a vague hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind trust. Faith in Christ is not a, a leap of faith in the, in the face of contrary evidence. Evidence supports our faith, and our faith informs the evidence. See, faith is a solid conviction, as you see there on the screen. It's the inner proof. It's the assurance that God has promised us, and though we don't yet see it, what God has promised will be ours. Amen? Can leave that on the screen for a minute. I see some people frivolously writing, writing that down. Not, that's not the right word. What's the word? Furiously. There you go. Verse 2 says, by this kind of faith, by this kind of certain hope, this assurance, this conviction, the people of the old covenant received their commendation. To receive commendation means you gain approval. In this case, you gain God's approval. Literally, the Greek there says that, that you have obtained a good testimony, testimony before God. By their faith, by your faith, you obtain a good testimony before God, and he commends you. You are commended. By our faith, we are approved and affirmed by God. So think about a parent, a boss, a teacher, or coach, someone whose approval you long for, someone who that one time said to you, I'm proud of you, good job, I affirm you, you're, you're, the, you're the man, you're the woman that, that, that I always knew you could be. That's what the Lord says to us, commends us because of our faith. See, God's approval has always been on the basis of faith. Hear this. Even in the Old Covenant, you say, wait a minute, the Old Covenant was full of, of laws, and regulations, and rituals, and sacrifices. Wasn't God's approval, wasn't God's commendation of those old covenant believers based upon them following all the rules and regulations? No, no, no. Even then, it was based upon their faith. 
See, the, the rituals and the laws were always meant to be motivated by the people's faith. The regulations were meant to grow and build their faith in God and his promise of salvation. And a person that, that had faith in God, even in the old covenant, ultimately it was faith in, in the Lord's love and in his mercy and in his coming Messiah that they looked forward to. And so they found approval. They found commendation through their faith in the God of the old covenant, Yahweh, our God. See, God's approval and his affirmation of us is based upon our belief, our faith. But as we say this, we must also say in the same breath, we must make it clear that our faith is itself an act of God's divine grace. Faith itself is a, a gift of God's grace. It is founded by Christ. It is, it is a gift from the Father. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we are commended, we are approved, we are declared righteous, the scriptures say, saved by God's grace through our faith. Amen? Faith in the promise. Faith in the promise of a God who will love you, who will forgive you, who will welcome you through the work of Christ, through the, the death of Jesus. His life becomes your life. Through the resurrection, you're set free from your bondage to sin and death. And you can now walk new. As you put faith, as you trust, and I call you, I'll remind you today, put your faith, put your trust in Christ some may be seated here today and have been seeking to live and to gain approval from God based upon how you're living, what you're doing, who you are. But the scripture says no. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in what he has done. Faith in what he has achieved. Put faith in Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his return, and find forgiveness, find freedom, find, find a love of a God in heaven who will carry you into eternity. Now, this kind of faith that we are going to read about in, in chapter uh, 11, what follows are 15 examples, 15 examples of saints of the Old Testament. He begins in the book of Genesis, and he runs through those who stood in faith, those who had faith in the same God that we look to, faith in the same coming Messiah who now has come and we look back to. Now, as we read through some of these names, admittedly, these are flawed heroes, <clears throat> and, and the author of Scripture purposely kind of leaves out some of their faults and failures and some of their grave sins to highlight God's grace. You may remember in chapter 6, verse 12, we were called to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, see the, the, chapter 11 is going to lay out for us people who we are called to imitate. We're called to imitate their, their, their faith and their patience because through their faith and patience, they inherited the promises. And this great cloud of witnesses, of saints that stood before us, is meant to spur us, to stir our faith. That, that's what Hebrews Chez says at the beginning of chapter 12. I'm going to jump ahead. Look at, look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. After he lays out this beautiful example of, of the halls of faith, these men and women of faith, he says there at the beginning of chapter 12, Therefore, in light of all of these, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who? The founder and perfecter of our faith. See, everything that we're about to do for the next, I don't know, 40 minutes, if you guys are, are lucky, is, is meant to stir and to build your faith, to remind you of this great cloud of witnesses 
And the author of Hebrews says, now you too be a man of faith. Now you too be a woman of faith. Now you too run with endurance looking to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. And imitate those who, who, who through faith inherit the promises. So look, we're, I'm going to read now the entire chapter of, of Hebrews 11. It's not going to be a 15-point sermon. It's only going to be a six-point sermon. We're only going to cover through verse 16 this week, and we'll do the rest next week. It's one of those to-be-continued episodes that used to bother you so much as a kid, right? But this is like one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and I just couldn't help myself from reading the entire chapter. And here in this chapter, we're going to hear a refrain, this beautiful, it's like this rhythm, this poetry, this song, and we're going to hear again and again the words, by faith. And as I read aloud all 40 of these verses, would you, would you read out loud with me when we get to the part that says, by faith? Will you read by faith with me, Santoro? I need your help, brother. I know you know how to do this, okay? By faith, you're going to call it out as we get there. Man, this right here, this word of God, will, will, will change your life. Listen to this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named." He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Amen. 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 Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a gracious God, a God of promise. We thank you that you're a God who every single time has fulfilled his promises to your people. We thank you for this cloud of witnesses. We thank you for these men and women, these saints that have gone before us. We thank you for the testimony of their lives that by faith they have conquered, by faith they held on, by faith they now inherit the promises. Because as they waited, as they looked ahead, they now with us, through faith in Christ, now have received their salvation. And so we ask now that you would stir us as we unpack your amazing word that you would stir us to be people of faith, that whatever hardships and trials and apathy and struggle and temptation that we walked in this week would be overcome by your grace, by your spirit, by the victory of Jesus, that we would be men and women of faith. Father, we love you. Lord, I, I need you to fill my heart. Bless our time now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First example, verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe was created. It's interesting that the very first example of faith that he gives is the readers. 
Right? He says in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And now we're reading it, so now that's us. In Genesis 1, God spoke all that there is into existence so that what is seen in the world around us was made from what is not seen. See, the material world came from an immaterial being, and we believe this by faith. The word of God in Genesis says this and is confirmed throughout the Bible. Yet we know that our faith in creation is not opposed to, it's not in contradiction to evidence. There's good firm evidence to support our faith in a creator and and our faith informs the evidence around us. See, the very first example of faith in creation shows us that in faith we believe in a God who created all that is visible. And, And faith, faith in God, trust in God begins with this. God exists and he created the world. That's where faith starts. Craig Whiteford has great faith. He has great faith in, in a great creator God. If you don't know Craig, he's a, he's a microbiologist. Is that right? And, and Craig's a scientist through and through, right? Like everything that he does is a science experiment, okay? Whether it was his saltwater fish tank, whether it's growing grass in his backyard and taking the pH levels of the soil, like who does that? Whether it's smoking pork on, on his smoker, whether it's brewing coffee, let me ask you this. When, when you do your pour over, do you weigh the beans and the water? You weigh the, who weighs their water to make coffee? A scientist does that, okay? A scientist. He's now training for triathlons, and it's not a hobby, it's not exercise. He's doing a science experiment on his body, like to see what his training needs to be and how much he can push himself. And so he works for a big international uh, uh, medical corporation. They were involved in, in doing COVID test strips during the pandemic, probably still are. But listen, as a man of science, he does not live by science. If you know Craig, you know that he lives by faith in his creator, a creator who made the physical world, a creator who is the God of science. And for Craig, a scientist, the science is born out of his faith. The faith that a God brought all things into existence by what is unseen. And his study of science is now a study of his creator. Will you believe in a creator by faith? Will you believe in a creator? Secondly, by faith, Abel. By faith, we read that Abel offered a sacrifice to God. See, Adam and Eve, the first humans ever created, gave birth to two sons, Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, the two sons brought sacrifices to worship God. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. So Cain brings produce, and Abel brings a sheep to the Lord as an offering. The offering itself wasn't what was important. It was their hearts. And Abel's heart was in the right place. Cain's heart was not. And Cain gets jealous, and he gets angry of his brother. And you know the story. Cain kills Abel. Now we read here in verse 4 that by faith Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice, an offering more acceptable than Cain's. See, Abel was commended, he was approved by God as righteous and accepted through his gifts because of his faith. And so we read that even though Abel died, his faith still speaks. Why? Because his testimony goes on even today. See, Abel shows us that faith, Abel shows us that, that by faith we worship And we obey and we give our very lives as a sacrifice to God. We offer our own sacrifices, our lives, our obedience through faith by a pure heart. 
This is what Brian and Amanda Krug have been doing for at least the 15 years that I've known them. They've been here at Living Hope since the beginning. Brian and Amanda love to worship, and their lives are a sacrifice of worship. They poured their lives into the three children that they raised. They're almost, almost done, almost done raising them. Offering them as sacrifices of worship to the Lord. Now they're caring for, for parents that are in need, and they've, they've lived in dedication to the Church of Christ, serving in our worship ministry here at Living Hope. And I was thinking back, serving in children's ministry and youth ministry, serving on the deacon team, serving in technologies, helping build out this facility. Now, now Amanda in a staff admin role, and their lives are giving and giving and giving and offering in faith all their time, all their energy, all their resources to God in worship. See, by faith, they live their life as an offering to God with a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, will you offer your life to God by faith as a gift of worship? By the way, guys, I hope relationships are okay with your, your siblings, okay? So I don't, I don't want you ending up like Abel did in the story. You guys are good? Okay. Third, by faith, Enoch pleased God. You read in Genesis 5, there's a genealogy of the people that lived from Adam to Noah. And in there, there's this mysterious guy mentioned named Enoch. And we're told in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked closely with God. And Enoch has such a unique and such such a close connection with God that rather than die, as most humans do, we simply read in Genesis 5, 25, Enoch was not, for God took him. No funeral, he just ceased to be, he just was zapped up into heaven apparently. And the book of Hebrews now uses him as an example of faith. Verse 5 says that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Enoch was no longer found on earth because God took him away. See, Enoch, a man of faith, was commended. He was approved as one who pleased God. And Enoch reminds us that in faith we seek God. In faith we draw near to God. In faith we walk in intimacy with God. And as we do this, we please God. In fact, verse 6 says, man, highlight verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists, and you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I know in other places in the Bible it says that nothing is impossible with God, but here we read that it's impossible to please God unless you have faith. Guys, listen, you will never earn God's favor on your own. You will never find God's love on your own. God will never delight in you through what you are doing unless you have faith. Hard work alone, obedience alone, daily good deeds alone, articulating sound, precise doctrine alone is not enough to please God. You must have faith. This is, this is trust. This is true belief. This is drawing near. It's a certain, firm trust. Faith, as we read, is the confidence, the assurance that you have what you hope for. It's this solid conviction by the Holy Spirit who gives you this inner proof, this assurance that God has promised. And even though you don't yet see it, what God has promised will be yours. You say, but Pastor Tim, my faith is small and weak and it wavers and I struggle and I doubt and I forget and I fail. I I know. 
I know, but this is what the Bible calls us to. And this is what the Holy Spirit will empower you to. See, Jesus died and rose again, not to just to give you a ticket into heaven. He died and rose again to fill you now with faith, to fill you now with the ability to walk in obedience before the Lord. And as we've heard again and again in the book of Hebrews, we're called to draw near to God. But to do so, first of all, for starters, you've got to believe that he exists. And secondly, you must believe that he's faithful to his promises. You must have faith in the promise. And those who seek him will be rewarded. Now, as I, I read and studied the story of Enoch this week, <clears throat> by the way, half of the people in this room are saying like, Man, I hope he doesn't use me as an example this morning. And the other half of the people are thinking like, wow, wouldn't that be so amazing to be mentioned as a person of faith? I, I thought of Dave Brady. Brother, you're an Enoch. You have this rock-solid, unshakable faith, and you walk closely with God each day. You draw near to the Lord. But know this. If you know Dave, you know what I'm talking about. Know this. His exemplary faith has not been easy. It has not come and developed developed easily because by faith our brother Dave Brady has faced more more than his fair share of hardships lost a child six days old went through life change went through divorce has faced disappointment has faced job loss has faced moves has faced financial strain has faced health problems but listen to this faith is a muscle if you're here this morning and you want faith like we read here, you have to use it. You have to exercise it. And sometimes those exercises of faith, they strain, they pull, they tear the muscle fibers, and it hurts. But just like building your physical muscles, that faith muscle grows back stronger. And that's what happened to Dave Brady over a lifetime. And so a year or so ago, when he, when he had to have eye surgery, and after the eye surgery, he had to lay flat on his stomach, face down, for 50 minutes out of every hour. For how many days? Was it five days? days? About five days. Now, listen, I would have just gone blind. Like, I would choose to lose my eyesight than to have to lay face down for five days, only able to get up and walk around for 10 minutes every hour. And, and my, my brother Dave did it as though it was just an opportunity to, to be with the Lord, to pray, to meditate, to read, to listen to worship music. I think one Sunday we're all just going to show up and that seat will be empty. And we'll just say, well, the Lord took him. The Lord took him. He walked, he walked so closely with God. Will you walk with God? Will you walk with God and please God by faith? Will you trust him? Number four says, by faith, Noah saved his, his entire household. Most of us know the story of, of Noah and the flood starts in Genesis chapter 6. We read that the wickedness of humanity was so great on the earth that every intention of humans was only evil continually. That's a pretty harsh statement about the state of humanity. And so in judgment, God determined that he was going to send a great flood. He was going to destroy humanity and wipe clean the earth from human sin and start over. And we read in Genesis that God looked at Noah and saw that Noah was righteous. And so only he and his family would be preserved. And so God called Noah to build this enormous box, this enormous ark for him and his family and for the animals to be saved. And so we read in verse 7 that by faith, Noah, being warned by God about this coming flood of judgment, 
Though it was not yet seen, Noah began to construct an ark to deliver his family. It had not rained, there was no water, there was no need for a boat, and Noah obeyed by faith. Can you imagine the foolishness of what he was doing? Can you imagine the ridicule and the doubt that he faced? I'm, I'm just hoping and praying that his wife was supportive. Because I know that the neighbors and the community and the people all around him must have thought he was completely nuts. But by faith, he listened to the Lord. He obeyed. Verse 7 says, because he was motivated, what? By reverence and godly fear of his creator. And so through Noah's faithful obedience, he condemned the world to die, it says, outside the ark. And by his faith, he became an heir of righteousness. See, Noah shows us that in faith, in reverence and all of God, we are called to obey and follow his commandments no matter the cost, no matter the logic, according to the world. Kyle Taylor, brother, you're a Noah. I I don't even know you that well. You've only been coming to church for a couple of months. We've talked a few times, but I know this. By faith, you have saved your household. Two years ago, three years ago, Kyle told me that he just began to confront the the emptiness of the world, realizing that the path of the world was was futile and would lead to destruction. And and having not grown up in a Christian home, he began to wonder and began to seek God. He he downloaded a Bible app and thought, maybe there's an answer here. He ended up buying a, a, a Bible and beginning to read it. Now listen, he had no reason, objectively speaking, to turn from the world. And I'm sure that he had family and friends that thought he was foolish, a grown man pursuing the, the childness of religion. No reason to turn his whole world upside down. But as he began to read that Bible, as he began to be confronted with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ found him and he found life. Kyle said he didn't even know what to do next. He had a relative that was a Christian. He called up and said, I think I want to follow this guy. Jesus, what do I do? And his his. his this man said, well, you need to go find a church. And so Kyle's grocery shopping. He sees somebody wearing a Living Hope Church hoodie. And he, he, t- he tells the story like he wasn't following the person in the grocery store. But he said after the third time of seeing him, he stopped and said, where's this Living Hope Church? I need a church. And now he's here. And now his family is here. Listen, Kyle, you've saved your household. Your children, your children's children now get to meet Jesus Now get to find salvation and forgiveness because you, by faith, turned your life around and gave yourself to Christ and found the grace of God, found the mercy of God, escaped the judgment of the world. Friends, will you listen to God when it does not make sense, despite how it looks to family and friends and the world around you? Will you, like Noah, listen to God by faith? Number five, by faith, Abraham moved to a foreign land. We read the stories of of God's covenant with the nation of Israel, but that nation began with with a couple, Abraham and Sarah. And prior to God calling Abraham into relationship, into covenant, God had been dealing with humanity as a whole. But in Genesis 12, everything narrows, and God's plan and God's purpose settles on one guy, Abraham. And God calls and elects Abraham to be the father of his nation, and he gives him his covenant love to Abraham, to Sarah, and their descendants. And Abraham, God calls Abraham to leave his family, to leave his home country in Haran, to travel across the Middle East to the land of Canaan. And the Lord, Yahweh, tells Abraham, says, look, 
get up and leave. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to build a great nation from you. I'm going to build descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky, and I'm going to give all of your descendants a land. And Abraham's like, wait, where, where am I going? He said, don't worry about it. Just go. I'll tell you later, right? And so by faith, we read in verse 8, Abraham obeyed God when he was called to leave his home and move to a foreign land that one day would be the inheritance for his nation. And so Abraham went out, it says, not even knowing where he was going. Now, some of you have done cross-country moves, right? But at least you knew where you were going. Most of the time, you had a job, you had a house, you had people that were, you were going to. But can you imagine packing up the house, loading up the donkeys and the kids, and the kids are all like, Dad, where are we going? I, I, really, I don't really know. We're, we're moving. Just I, The Lord's leading us. Let's go. All right? By faith. By faith, Abraham followed the Lord. One commentator said, to leave the certainties one knows and go out into what is quite unknown, relying on nothing other than the word of God, is the essence of faith. You leave the certainties that you know you step out into what is unknown and you rely on God and his word. And so verse 9 says that Abraham obeyed. He lived by faith. He went out to live in the land of promise, a foreign land. And then he has a son, Isaac, and Isaac's son, Jacob. They're also heirs of the promise. But they lived, listen, we're going to come back to this. They lived in tents in this foreign land with no permanent house among a foreign people and a foreign culture. And so verse 10 says that Abraham was able to obey. He was able to walk the hard road because by faith he was looking forward to a city more magnificent. I'm told that Canaan is a pretty magnificent land. The land of Israel is pretty magnificent. But you know what's better than the fields and the villages there? It's not an earthly city that Abraham was looking to. He was looking to a heavenly city. A city that had been designed and built by God himself. That's what Abraham had his eyes set on. Not the, not the physical land, but the city of God. And so the story of Abraham shows us that in faith we can obey the Lord even when we don't know the outcome. Listen, despite what the world does or does not offer you, we should look to the city of God. And whether you are hung up with what this world has not offered you or whether you are distracted by what this world has given you, we set our eyes and we set our heart on the future city that's designed and that's built for us by God. Heindels, how long ago did you pack up all your stuff and move to Idaho? Was it? No, no. When you first moved, 13 years ago? 13 years ago. Family... Family dairy farm goes out of business here in, in southern PA. So Aaron packs up his family and moves to Idaho. It, no offense, guys, but who moves to Idaho? Like, why people move from Idaho, right? What's, what's even there? But, but Aaron lands a job. He moves his family to Idaho. But then the job he thought he was going for fell through, didn't it? And so he got a different job. And then every time I have breakfast or coffee or talk to Aaron, he mentions a different job that he did in Idaho. Like he's a man of, of many, I don't know how many jobs he's out there. You thought you went out there for a job to, to provide for your family. That's not why you went to Idaho. The Lord called you to Idaho. Why? Because there was a tiny little country Bible church there and a pastor there who said, no, you may no longer play Christian. 
And he showed Aaron the true gospel and the true Jesus. And Aaron, a grown Christian man, came to faith in Idaho. And he says, for the first time, I repented of my sins. For the first time, I realized what Christ had truly done, not just out here, not just doctrinally, but what Christ had truly done for me. And so he meets Jesus in Idaho. His life is transformed. His family is transformed. And then 13 years later, God brings him back to Pennsylvania. You can wait and let the Lord send you out to Idaho. Or you can today choose to obey God. Choose to obey God by faith. Even when you don't know where he's taking you. Even when you don't know why you lost a job. Why you're moving to a different state. Why family has been thrown up in the air. Why the doctor has given you the report that he has. Will you by faith trust God even when you don't know where he is taking you? Number six, by faith Sarah received power to conceive. Now listen, Abraham is touted for his faith, but that doesn't mean that the couple didn't struggle. See, there's an important part of the story. Abraham and Sarah are getting old. God's promised to give them a, a, a son, to give them more descendants than the sands of the seashore. But now, but now Sarah's 90. Abraham is 100. They got no kids. And so they take matters into their own hand. Actually, this was a few years before. Sarah she gets nervous, and she says to Abraham, look, I've got this maidservant, Hagar. Just, just go lay with Hagar. Let her be a surrogate. Bring a child into the world with her. God says, no. You can have a son with Hagar, but he's not the child of the promise. That's not what I'm calling you to. That's not my plan. And so God again confirms the covenant with Abraham and says, no, you two are going to have a child. And in Genesis 18, three angels show up, and they appear to Abraham, and they explain, look, Sarah, your wife is going to bear a son. Yeah, but she's 90. I know she's 90, but this is God we're talking about. And so Sarah, listen to this. Sarah's inside the tent, listening to the conversation that Abraham is having with the three angels. And you know what Sarah does? She rejoices and says, amen, God, I believe. No, she starts laughing because she thinks what God has just promised is so ridiculous. She starts laughing. These are men and women that struggle with faith just like you and I. And she says this. You can go look it up in Genesis 18. How could I have the pleasure of bearing a son? I am worn out and my husband is old. Right? Like, God, I'm sorry, but our time has passed. And God responds, is anything too hard for the Lord? And so there's this initial doubt. She doesn't have faith in the promise, but her faith is restored. And a year later, she finds herself holding her son Isaac. Why? Because by faith, Sarah, even after the age of childbearing, received the power to conceive, verse 11 says, to give birth to a son, since she considered that God who had promised them was indeed faithful. And that child was born, not in their timing, not in their way, but in God's timing and God's way. And so verse 12 says that therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born the descendants of Israel. More, more than you can count. More numerous than the stars of heaven, than the grains of sand on the beach. Because through faith in Christ, now you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham. Now you and I inherit the covenant promise that was miraculously fulfilled through Sarah. And so from Sarah we learn that even if God's promises, even if God's word seems ridiculous, seems impossible, seems too far gone, too hard, the call is to trust and to believe. Now, 
Brittany Perkins, are the, are the Perkins not here today? Brittany Perkins was not barren for 90 years, just to clarify, but she did struggle with infertility for 10 years. 10 years. And Brittany walked with God during that period, and she struggled. She struggled at times with that the hope of children seemed impossible. It seemed too far off. And at other times, Brittany tried to manufacture faith. She tried to manufacture faith in such a way that, that she thought she could push God to do what she wanted him to do. And guess what? That didn't work. But she waited, and now God has given them three beautiful children. And, and if I was a betting man, I'd say three beautiful children and counting. Okay? Let's just wait and see. And by faith, if you know Brittany, she lives every day trusting in hope, certain that God is who he, is, he said he is and will do what he said he will do. She learned 10 years of her faith stretching and straining and growing. She learned that God answers prayers, maybe not the way that you want, maybe not when you want it, but she lives her life now with this confident assurance of who God is. And if you know Brittany, you see it in her eyes, you see it in her smile, her faith spills out into everyone she meets. Friends, listen, will you trust God? Will you trust God to do what, what you don't yet even have the faith to believe, what may seem impossible? Will you trust God for what you do not yet have, even when it seems impossible by faith? Will you believe a God that, that is who he says? He may not do what you want, when you want, how you want, but he will give you something far greater, far better, far more beautiful by faith. And so this section wraps up in 13 to 16 with this hard reality that as beautiful, as inspiring, as powerful as all the stories of these saints were, what does it say? They all died. Okay, thanks. They all died without having received what was promised, it says. In verse 13, see, they had faith in God. They trusted in what was coming, but, but they never got to hold it. They never got to experience the full reality of the covenant promise for themselves. See, the fulfillment of God's promise for them was like seeing something vaguely off in the distance. Like we talked a couple weeks ago. It's by seeing this shadow come around the corner, and you see the shadow, and you're pretty sure that something better is coming, but you can't quite yet see it and hold it and grasp it and touch it. That's what their experience of faith was for these old covenant saints. What they hoped for, what they trusted in, what they had faith in, they only greeted from afar. And yet even so, they were convinced. Even so, they were convicted and assured that God will fulfill his covenant promise. And so it says in 39 and 40, at the end of the chapter, it says that they did not receive what was promised because God was preparing them for something better, something greater. See, they had to wait for generations. Why? They had to wait for you and me. Says, that's what it says. They said they had to wait for Christ to come so that they would not be saved without us. That now, through the coming of the Messiah, they are saved along with us through faith in Christ. Through something so much better than they could ever imagine. So much clearer. See, despite all that God had promised the saints of the old covenant, despite all that God had done, despite all the good things, the, the amazing things that they experienced, they still did not have what was fully theirs. They still did not have their eternal home. Yes, Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Yes, Enoch walked with God and Noah received salvation through the ark and Abraham saw the land of, of promise and Sarah gave birth to a son in her old age. But despite all of these wonderful things, verse 13 says, 
They never lost sight that this world was not their home. They, they held on to this identity. Listen, this might sound weird. They held on to their identity as strangers and as foreigners on earth. They lived their life as exiles, as refugees in a foreign land. See, what God gave them in the world was not the fulfillment of the promise. And the answer to their prayers was not ultimately the fulfillment of the promise. What they had in this life, they, they all realized Every single man or woman of faith mentioned in this chapter realized this world is not my home. And people who speak this way, verse 14 says, people who think of themselves as strangers and exiles on earth are making a statement of faith. When you feel in your heart, I don't think I belong here. When you say out loud, this world doesn't fit quite right, that is a statement of faith. You're making it clear that you're not satisfied with this life. Abraham and Sarah and Enoch, they made it clear that they were not content with this world as their home, that they were seeking a greater homeland, a better homeland. And look at verse 15, thinking specifically about Abraham and Sarah and their, their call to leave their homeland. The author reasons, look, if they had been thinking of the land that they had been coming from, they could have easily just returned there. If they were longing for something more, they could have just gone back home. But they didn't. Because that wasn't their homeland. That wasn't what they were seeking. Verse 16 says, rather, they desired a better country. What kind, of, what kind of better country? A heavenly one, the word of God says. A homeland far beyond anything that this broken world could offer. A homeland in God's presence. A place where one day you and I, through faith in Christ, will find perfection and fullness. will be complete and untainted by sin, untainted by evil. And so therefore, the word of God says, he was not ashamed to call these saints his own. He's proud to be in covenant relationship with the saints of the old covenant. And he's proud to be in covenant relationship with you and I through Christ, who have our eyes on him. These saints were commended, verse 16 says. They were approved as people of faith because God had prepared for them a city, a heavenly city full of the glory of God. Now listen, let, let me wrap up with this. You are a stranger. You and I are exiles. We, we are seeking the promised homeland, not in this life, no matter how good it is. We're seeking a homeland by faith. And the heart of faith looks beyond anything that this world can offer. The man or woman of faith has their eyes so firmly set on the kingdom of God that they know there's nothing in this world that can fulfill them, nothing in this world that can truly fulfill the longing of their heart, that can truly make you feel content at home and settled. Okay, now I have all that I, all that I long for. The person of faith keeps looking ahead, keeps looking forward. But, but listen, if instead you look to the things of this world, young people, please hear me. If you think that this is your true home, if you look to the things of this world for fulfillment, if you think that a job or money is going to bring you value, if you think that, that the, 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 the fun sins, and some of them are fun, if those pleasures are going to give you meaning, if you look for fulfillment through, through a relationship or through an opportunity in this life, if you put any hope in this physical world, your faith will shrivel and you will find your expectations sorely missed. 
We cannot look to this world or to the gods of this world. We need to look by faith at the one and true living God. We need to live by faith in his promises to us, looking to our true homeland, a true heavenly city, the only place where we're at home, the only place where we'll have our identity and our needs met. But listen, here's the amazing part of the gospel. We don't just greet this from afar like all of these saints of the old covenant had to do. We're not just greeting the promises from afar. We're not just holding on to some mere shadow, some vague understanding of, of what God may or may not do. Because listen, the Father's love for you is true now because Christ has come. Christ came. He came and he lived a righteous life. He died on the cross as your substitute. He rose again so that now you can have eternal life. The Holy Spirit even now dwells in your heart. And the scripture teaches that all of our inheritance that's waiting, the Spirit is a down payment. He's a deposit on what is to come. The Father's love is real. The the Christ's salvation is real. The Holy Spirit's presence is real. We have it now. We have the promises that we wait for. And so as the the team comes back up, as we close and, and cry out to the Lord in song and in prayer. We ask him to build our faith. We ask him to build our faith. And so a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray as the team plays. And, and I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to, to stay seated. Take a moment. Take a moment to look at the ways that you struggle with faith. To look at the promises you're still waiting for. To look in your own heart in the ways that you, you need faith to believe. You need hope to hang on to, where your conviction is not firm, where your assurance is not set. And I'm going to ask you this. When when you are ready to say, God, I'm going to live by faith, then stand up and and, and join us with this song. And if you, listen, if you stay seated until the service is dismissed, don't let anybody tell you that that's not a respectable thing to do. Because I don't want you to stand up. I don't want you to stand up until you're ready to say, God, I, I, I want to live by faith. Standing up doesn't mean that you have now perfect faith. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is stand up as a declaration to say, God, I want to be a man of faith. I want to live by faith. I want to follow you. I want to believe. Will you help my unbelief? Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit to empower me to obey, to follow, to trust, to wait patiently? Amen? And so, God, as we sing this song, as we sit, as we meditate, as we prepare by your Spirit's leading to stand up, we ask you to stir our faith. God, we ask you to give us what we cannot conjure in our own hearts. We ask you to give us a certain belief, a firm trust. Holy Spirit, come now and fill us with that confidence. Fill us with the assurance that we can trust you, that we can follow you, that we can walk with you, that we do have what we hope for. Lord God, would you give us this morning, not perfection, but would you give us a conviction? God, when the world around us is crumbling and swirling, would you give us that inner proof, that inner assurance that you are who you say you are? That even when we experience loss and grief and trial, when we experience our own sin, God, give us that assurance that that we have what you've promised that what we do not yet see is ours. So come and fill us. Give us courage to walk in faith. Give us courage to trust you. Holy Spirit, come. Seal our hearts. Empower us. Fill us. In Jesus' name and for his sake.